Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. We are currently offering two in-person services each Sunday. We have a 9 a.m. worship service as well as a 10.30 a.m. family service for parents and children to attend together. We are also live streaming our 9 a.m. service on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and on our website. We'd love to have you join us however you feel most comfortable, whether in person or online. And now, here is today's message. It was a few months ago that I was teaching on the kingdom and was talking about identity in one of the sermons. And, and as I was talking about that, I used a, an illustration of somebody with Alzheimer's that um, had, lost, had lost the memory and couldn't recollect who they were married to. And, and, and even though the spouse would come week in and week out or day in and day out and, and would meet with uh, their spouse, they, they couldn't connect the dots and they forgot who they were over time. And it was a tragic it's a tragic series of events that took place, and I shared that story. And I began to get some notes and some feedback from individuals about the topic of identity. And I decided, you know what, it's time for us to, as a church, hit it, because I think it's one of, this, it's one of the greatest things that the church can do is embark on understanding who you truly are and who God has made you to be. Period. And, and so I pray that God will inspire you during this particular series on identity, knowing, getting to know you. So the question, a couple questions I have is, who are you? Who are you? What defines you? What is your identity? And I think that those questions, as I've been pondering those questions, affect every aspect of our life, personal, public, and spiritual. And, and so I think it's important for us to get the answer right to that. Now, I don't know if, you, if you're movie watchers. Probably a lot of you are movie watchers. I'm a movie watcher. But it was the early 2000s, and there was a movie out called Memento. And in it, there's a man by the name of Leonard, Leonard um, Shelby, and he tries to track down his wife's killer. Okay? And the result is, is this complicating the, the search and as he pursues it, is he had, uh, as a result of a blow to the head, he had low, um, this, this interrograde amnesia, a condition that makes it impossible for him to remember anything. So short term, he could remember just a little bit and then everything was gone. So he's trying to figure this out. So he creates a series of, of si- like a system of trying to remember when he would wake up the next day. Okay, he took Polaroids <laughs> to remember things. He would write no- little notes to himself to say, don't forget this, even though I know you'll forget this the next day. And he would, um, and tattoos, he would get these different tattoos to remember facts to string together evidence, ultimately to find his wife's killer and put all of those things together and exact revenge. That was his goal, to exact revenge. And unfortunately, there were several shady characters that tried to manipulate Leonard's condition for their, own gain, for their own gain. And they used the amnesia against him to tell him about his past and who he is and their intentions. And the, the idea of the movie was it toys with the concepts of, of identity and truth. And as the movie progresses, if you've seen it, maybe you ought to go see it, or you ought to get it anyway, watch it. Um, doubt is cast on Leonard's story, version of the story. By the, I mean, the, uh, the movie gets almost over. You're going, 
Is this Leonardo? Is he even legit? Is this for real? And it has a twisty, twisted ending. You need to watch it. But he, he suffers from severe identity crisis that leads to him not being able to remember who he is. As Christians, I've come to the conclusion that we are a lot like Leonard. We have a condition. We are continually forgetting who we are. We're forgetting who we are. We don't realize that God has placed things and, and, and done things in our life that, that shape us and form us, and we forget the who am I question. And even people that believe the Bible, even people that call themselves Christians, and uh, Jesus-loving Christians, um, they forget. And so, how we see ourselves is your identity. And culture is about self-image, self-esteem, and uh, I believe for my children growing up, I believe self-esteem was a big deal, um, but getting to know who they are in Christ, getting to know um, who's created them and the way that they're to live and all of that, it was a, it's been a big deal for our family. But for years I pastored and I've counseled people struggling with issues such as alcoholism, sexual perversion, pride, depression, anger, bitterness, and I felt like I was talking to a wall. I don't know if you ever talked to somebody with an issue and you're like, ugh. And what I found is that in talking to people, these underlying issues of alcoholism or pride or arrogance or sexual perversion or whatever it may be that they're wrestling with was most often tied to not knowing truly who they are and who they were created to be. And, and so my hope is that by God's grace and the truth of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'll grow to know your identity. And if you already know, and that's wonderful, but I pray that what it will do is it will compound the already knowing and build upon that so that God will continue to fill you fresh and use you in a new way that maybe you've never been used for his glory. So, you aren't what has been done to you, but Jesus, what Jesus has done for you. You aren't what you do, but what Jesus has done. What you do doesn't determine who you are, but rather you, who you are in Christ determines what you do. And those are, to me, fundamental truths. So here's a key question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Uh, and so where do, you, where do you start? Well, as I was pondering that, I go, okay, you are an image bearer of God. An image bearer of God. For those of us that have been Christians for any length of time, uh, we would say, yes, we are an image bearer of God. In fact, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and you can turn there in your Bibles. It's also, I put it in the Version Bible app for you to uh, follow along with me. And this is God at the beginning of creation, and he's saying... Let us make, in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, let us make human beings, and this is, this is the doctrine of the Trinity, the beginning of what? Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his what? In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so, 
this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, lives in this eternal friendship and community, created us in his image. He created us to do what? Image him. Think of it like this, a mirror. You look in a mirror, and who, what do you see? You see yourself, and if you are created in the image of God, who are you looking at? It's really a big kingdom concept. I look in the mirror and I see myself, but in seeing myself, I see a glimpse of God. And when others see us in culture, the heart of God is for them to see what? Just you? No, they're to see a glimpse of God in your life. How do you do that? Ways that we image God. Head, this is really easy to remember, head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. How do we, how do we image God in, in our heart uh, or in our head? Is that we grow to understand how he thinks. We read scripture and therefore when we speak, we speak words of wisdom and understanding and insight to the world through the things that God has, what? Instilled in our minds, in our heart. What happens? How do we image God through our heart? It's when all of a sudden you feel God feelings, such as hatred and injustice and oppression and loving people and grieving sins, devastating effects and rejoicing and redemption. So if you've ever had moments where you're like, oh, I hate that that occurred, I, whatever. You know what that is? That's this godness in us that is saying, I can't tolerate the oppressive, destructive ways that culture lives and therefore it bothers me. And that's the emotion, that heart that God has given us. And then we're to join God's work using our hands. We image by using our hands by doing what? Acts of compassion and generosity and kindness. Head, heart, hands. Ways that we image God. And when we reflect something of God with our, with our head, hearts, and hands out of love for him, we do what we were created for. What we were created for. Genesis 2.18 says this. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And why, why do I say this and why is this put out there? Because not only were you to image God with your head, your heart, your hands, but you were also to image God in community and in relationship. You are, you are meant to image God by the friendships in the, in the life that you do with other people. And when other people look at you, they go, what is it that you do with other friends and with other people? How is it that you are kind and generous and, and loving? It's to be done, what, in the context of relationships. That's why we say our mission is to relationally love people because that's the heart of God. God's enemy then tempted, what, our first parents and brought what I would say is the first identity crisis. The identity crisis. In fact, Genesis 3, 5 says this, that when Adam and Eve, they were ta- told, don't eat, you guys know the story, don't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. If you do, you will surely die. Satan shows up and highlights the fruit. And we get to Genesis 3, 5, and Satan says to Eve, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be what? Like God, knowing both good and evil. What's the problem here? The problem is that they were already like God. 
in that they were already created in the image of God. And what the enemy wanted to do, and just like Leonard Shelby wanted to twist it up and basically uh, ruin some, all these bad people wanted to ruin Leonard's life. And in the same way, the enemy wanted to come in and basically say, what God gave you isn't good enough. And you are to take the matters into your own hands. And you are to be the master of your own fate and your own destiny. And it's a twist and it's a lie from Satan. You will be like God. If we base our identity upon someone or something else other than God... And the grace of God uh, that he bestows on us, we, we become deceived and we grow into identity crisis. And Adam and Eve fell for it. Rather than simply believing that they were already like God, made in his likeness, they disobeyed. And what? They sought to create their own identity apart from God. So I wonder what happens when you try to create your own identity apart from God. What happens when you try to create your own identity apart from God. Okay, worship. I love today. Worship, it's, it's refreshing to me. It's refreshing. Lauren, thank you, and, and, and Laura, and, and Nathan, and as we were able to, to worship. There's something about coming and being collectively together and worshiping, and I pray that we can do more of that this year in 2021. Okay, more of that. And that God will just continue to pour in t- into our worship times. And, that, and God created us as worshipers. And, and rightly understood, um, worship rightly understood begins with this idea of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about that in, in Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so this worship starts with the doctrine of the Trinity and doctrine of image. And so in this book by Harold Best... It describes the Trinity as uniquely continuous outpour who continually outpours, him between, out, uh, pours out himself out between the persons of the Godhead in unceasing communication, love, friendship, and joy. We then, what? Created in God's image are also unceasing worshipers. So we have this image, we have this image, head, heart, hands. We have relationship that images God to the world. And then we have what we do is worship unto God. And what I, I love what Harold Best describes in his book, and he says this, we were created continuously outpouring. Note that I did not say we were created to be continuous outpourers, nor can I dare imply that we were created to worship. This would suggest that God is an incomplete person whose need for something outside himself, worship, completes his sense of himself. It might not even be safe to say that we were created for worship because the inference can be drawn that worship is a capacity that can be separated out and eventually relegated to one of several categories of being, of being. I believe it's strategically important, therefore, to say that we were created continuously outpouring. We were created in that condition at that instant, imago Dei, image of God. What does this mean? This means that everything that you do in your life is just when you get up in the morning and you walk into the restroom and you brush your teeth and the attitude and the actions and the things that you do, everything that you do is an act of worship 
unto God. It's like he delights in the fact that you, that you go about your day and you go get your cereal and you walk out into the yard or you get in your car and you go to work and, you, and all of this time you're continuously outpouring worship unto God. It's not relegated to some sacred assembly and gathering in which we go, yes, we worship. No. So we come in and we sing hallelujah, holy God, and then we go into our car and turn on ACDC. You know what I'm saying? And then we go, oh, but we go home and then we separate ourselves and then we, we maybe watch things or observe things or do things that, that we go, well, we would, never, we would never do that in church. We would never do that in church to which God is going, don't you understand? You don't separate it. There's no separation. Your life is what? Continuously outpouring act of worship to me. So Harold Best lays that out. And I love what he says is worship is this continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. Our worship never starts and stops. Never starts and stops. Think about it this way. Everything in life is sacred and nothing is secular. But it is what? It is a lie from Satan that we can be compartmentalized in that way. Everyone from atheists to Christians is worshiping in some way. In some way. In the eyes of God, our choices, values, expenditures, words, actions, and thoughts are all acts of worship. All acts of worship that make up our identity. And the only question is, what is your object of worship? What is your object of worship? And so, two categories that, that humanity can be divided in is those that, are creator, that, that worship the creator and those that worship created things. And this is hard for us because it's something that we, we have compartmentalized and, and God is wanting to bring us back to what is true and right, imago Dei, image of God, image bearers, head, heart, hands, worship, community, all of these things. And what happens is because we're prone to worship anything and everything other than God who made everyone and everything, that is idolatry. And you're like, what a great way to bring in the new year. Talk about idolatry, okay? But just so you know, I'm setting us up for the weeks to come. I needed to do this today so that you can get a picture and understanding of what is our propensity as humans. So that when we get into, and I'm going to be teaching through the book of Ephesians. And as we get into the book of Ephesians, you're going to have, I'm going to do my best to unfold what it means to truly know yourself as you grow to understand and know God. And it's really mysterious, but at the same time, it's life-giving, and I'm praying the Holy Spirit will give us immense grace as we, as we go through this. Idolatry, then, is when we take a created thing and make it a God thing, lower G, which is a bad thing. Did you get that? Idolatry is when you take a good thing, make it a God thing, lowercase g, that is a bad thing. Whatever we base our identity and value on becomes deified. Man, and it's hard, you know. Our deified object of worship then determines what we glorify and live for. If our object of worship is anything other than God, we're what would be called idolaters. Worshiping created things. In fact, Romans 1.25 says this, Paul writing, talking about humanity, 
They traded the truth about God for a lie. So what did they do? They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Angel and I were talking about resolutions a couple days ago. And one of the resolutions that, and I think she's okay me sharing this, was I would like to eliminate sugars. That, you know, from, and I'm like, man, that sounds like an awful resolution. Okay? I'm like, man, I, re- I resolve this year to eat more sugar. No, I, no, I don't do that. But, but she was resolving to go, I'm not going to eat sugar. And she's reading something as of late that says, that says um, something along the lines of, as she's, that, that if she is more consumed with getting the soda and getting the food than relegating worship unto God and focusing on God, then that thing potentially has stepped in to become an idol and the, and the focus of her passion or whatever is more that sugar than actually loving, serving, and following God. And you think, that sounds so dumb. But I don't know, are there things that you, are there things that you go, that has my consuming thoughts every day of my life. And you're thinking about those things only to set God aside and go, I don't need to focus on you right now. I'd rather focus on sugar. So, to put it simply, underlying our sinful false worship is the fact that our identity has become rooted in idolatry. And so, we have what I've read is identity idolatry. Identity idolatry. And so, I'm going to ask some questions. And I've used an acrostic here, it's not original to me, to focus, look at identity idolatry. And this is the things that we struggle with. And you guys are going to go, man, I've heard this, and man, I know. But really, if you're going to image, image day, God in 2020 and going forward, we've got to get this. We've got to understand this. First of all, identity idolatry is items. What are items that you would say are things that we potentially elevate in our life? Items that would become God to us. What are they? Online? Type it in. Here. What do you got? Our cars. Our cars. Yes. Our house. house. Family. Family. Job. Job. Money. Yeah, money, right? Yeah. Bible talks a little bit about money and the love of it and, you know, all that. Anybody else? Food. Food, yeah, yeah. They, so we have, in, in items, uh, in our culture, items have become what? Something that's a good thing has become a God thing, which is a bad thing. And, and so we are a culture of consumerism that that banks on name brand and wanting to have status and look at ourselves by what we wear. And what happens is that then we become identified by the shoes we wear, the pants we wear, the shirts we wear, the cars we drive, the, the houses we live in. And here's the thing, we don't even realize that our identity has been wrapped up in that. 
And the way that people find out whether they have identity wrapped up in these items is when it's taken away. To which all of us would go, I don't want that taken away. Here's the deal then. Then don't make that good thing a God thing, Lord G, that becomes a bad thing. Make sure that you don't make it an object of worship and deify it, but that you make God priority. This is big. And, and for those of you that are name brand people, and I'm not, I, I like name brands and all of those types of things, but you, you, what happens is oftentimes we don't even like to go out unless we have this on and this on and this on and we have this image. So I thought about why not take a week and just not care? Just put on the shirt, put on the pants, the shoes, whatever, and go, I do not care. And you'll find out within that week what you value. Items. Identity, idolatry. Number two is the duties and the idol. Duties. Duties is our what? Work. So what, what is it that in duties can become idolatry to us? What is it? What is it about the duty that becomes an idol? I am, I am what I do. And where does that, where does that start? At some point as a child, we start doing work, right? And we're, we're told that, that if, you know, if we do certain, um, certain types of work or certain amounts of work or a certain level of work, that it will get rewarded and then status will come. And before we know it, we're so entrenched in work that we've made this good thing a God thing, which is a bad thing. And, and we become workaholics. And you know how people break out of this identity idolatry in their duties is when they lose that duty. And if they lose that duty, they go, oh my gosh, my, the world is falling apart. And in many cases, people that have gone to that level uh, or, or lose a job or lose something they've done for a long time, they take their own life because their identity was so wrapped up in what they did. And it's tragic. It's tragic. My question to you is, if you were to take your job today and you were to let go of that job and you didn't do it anymore, would you lose your identity? Maybe you have identity idolatry. Third, others. Others. It's where we all have tribes, right? We all have people that we roll with. That we roll with. Um, in fact, in North America, you know, there's tribes. We call them gangs. Or, but it's not just gangs in the cities. It's, it's people that we do life with. And what happens is that when we go, this is our tribe, what often happens is that we then look at other tribes or other groups or other people and become judgmental of them. And so we look and say, this is the group I hang with. This is the people I root. This is how they think. This is how they work. This is how they talk. This is, this is how they look. This is, this is my group. This is what I do, who I have community with. And it's not that that's wrong to have that community and have that fellowship and so forth, but when it becomes a God thing, and that's like, I can't, honestly, I can't identify with anybody over here. In fact, didn't we just have this in our culture? What's it called? Politics presidential elections. 
People going, oh, I would never associate. I'm over here. This is how I am. And we begin to draw our identity by being one party or another party, one class or another class. People move into neighborhoods and people have parties with certain people because, why? Their identity is in their relationships. And it's become a God, small g thing, which is a bad thing. Others. Longings. Longings. This is kind of an interesting one because it's... Um, and now this is a lot of personality stuff. This is, this is stuff all of us have different ways that we function and we, and we roll. But longings is something that you're never satisfied with the here and now and what God is doing in this moment. You're always looking down the road. And you're longing for something. Yes, God's going to do. God's going to move. God's going to say. God, we're looking for that. But what happens is that when we're never satisfied with God in the present, it can become something where we're always worshiping the future. What is it, when we talk about longings, that might be an idol that we are pursuing in the future and never satisfied in the present. What is it? What would be a longing? Retirement. 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 And that's not a a bad thing, but if it becomes the God thing, then it becomes a bad thing, you know? Retirement. And and you know what? It's good. Retirement. But, but, But then not being present in what you're doing currently. Longings. You know, you hear people always say, God is going to do, God is going to do, God is going to do. You realize that God is doing? God is doing. And it's whether we're going to be dialed in and saying, God, I see it. I'm going to give focus to you, and I'm not going to deify the future. God, I give you my longings. I surrender them to you. And then the last one is sufferings. Sufferings. And this is one where some of us, because you've been hurt, You've been, you've grown bitter, maybe you're angry, maybe you've got some illness or whatever, and you begin to draw your identity from that thing, and now you're, you've got this false identity, but you've created, it's like, it's what you are. It's like, oh, I feel awful, therefore I am awful. I feel, you know, I'm hurting, therefore I walk around and that's my life, and I'm identified by the pain in my back and by by the pain in my head, by the the sickness inside of me, and therefore I'm identified. And have you ever, ever met somebody that's identified by their pain? So, I read this story about Tina the other day, and I won't go into all about her life. It says, Tina knows this all only too well about sufferings. She was diagnosed some years ago with brain cancer, and two weeks later, she had surgery to have the tumor removed. She thought it would be a quick recovery, and she'd be back to normal. But she soon realized that life would be very different for her from that point on. The tumor had eaten away at her skull, pushing through it and causing a bump on her head, the primary symptom that led to diagnosis. As a result, the neurosurgeon had to remove a portion of her skull and cover the hole with titanium plates and screws. Since then, she dealt with constant headaches and the daily chronic pain is a continual reminder of her brain tumor. She also suffered from other side effects that continue to the present day, including changes in how she responds to people, how she processes certain kinds of information and more. 
Making matters worse, six months after her surgery, in hopes of recovering and getting back to normal, she quit her job and moved in with her parents. Instead of finding a loving and healthy environment in which to heal, she ended up dealing with significant problems her parents were facing on top of her own problems. Putting her recovery on hold, and as she, as she puts it, my life became a day-to-day survival as I was what? As I was trapped in the whole situation because I had no money and wasn't able to work to get any so I could leave. And she said the turmoil and darkness just continued to be there for years. By God's grace, Tina finally won a disability claim. Someone stepped in to take care of her parents, and she was free to move out, of her own, move out on her own again. And she relates, it's, she says this, It took about a year and a half of being in a safe and normal environment where there's steady week in and week out preaching, teaching, and sharing about, and singing about Jesus, not to mention interaction with other Christians. She goes, I had been, I'd been isolated for a long time. And, and she goes, and quiet seed planting by the Holy Spirit took place before I was able to recognize that I had based my primary, primary identity on being a brain tumor survivor. I wasn't a Christian who had a brain tumor. I was a brain tumor survivor who was also a Christian. The realization helped Tina move from defining her identity as a brain cancer survivor to seeing herself as a beloved daughter of God with her big brother, with big brother, her big brother in Jesus, who suffered for her so she wouldn't have to be defined by her suffering. She realized that while being a brain tumor survivor with the limitations and scars that resulted is an important part of life, but it's not her identity. And so, they may help me, they may help explain me, I'm a brain tumor survivor, she says, but that doesn't define me. She says, that's not to say life is easy. Where I am right now is trying to to take what I know, which is, that my identity is in, through, and because of Jesus. And, and she says, applying it to my life. The old identity was entrenched in me so long, I have to take a while, it will take a while for old ways to be gone and new ways to come. I'm wondering, those of you online, if your identity has been attached to your suffering and your sorrow, if it's been identified and tied to your items in your life, duties, your work, others, longings. And many of those who lose their individual identity, idol, simply choose another one rather than turning to Jesus. And maybe that's been you. Maybe that's been you. I've wrestled with this in my life. This is stuff I have to work through day in and day out so that I realize, so that, so that I don't get caught up in this identity idol, idolatry that takes my eyes off of Christ. And I don't want to repeat the painful process all over, but that's what people do. They go from one addiction, compulsion, to another, one religious commitment to another, one relationship to another, seeking the answer to the question, who am I? Who am I? Meanwhile, they never find the only true answer to the identity crisis, which is what? Jesus. 
which you would go, okay, I've heard that. So in the weeks to come, I'm going to unpack that. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you online? That your identity is going to be found in Jesus Christ. So let's go. Let's, let's do this thing. And my prayer is that you will, in the weeks to come, know who you are, know yourself, who I am in Christ, and that when in the weeks, in the months, in the years to come, you'll be able to say, this is who I am, and I know me. I know me. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, today, I believe that you are wanting your church, not just New Hope 365, but the church globally, to move away from identity idolatry into God having our identity tied to you. We were created, God, in your image. And we know that that image has been tainted and scarred and twisted over the years. But I ask God that in the weeks to come that you will clean the mirror off and that, God, we will begin to see truly who we are in you and through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that, God, it will be life-transforming for those of us that gather here and those that gather online. I pray, God, that the message will get God sweep across socioeconomic lines and demographic areas and that, God, it will help those that will engage the topic and that, Lord Jesus, we will watch as the church is transformed and community and communities are transformed. Thank you, Jesus. Help us. And if there's anybody, God, in this room or online today that is struggling, help them to break free right now. Help them, O God, to pursue you head, heart, hands. But God, not do it to gain favor, but to do it out of absolute love for you. Lord Jesus, if there's anybody online or even in this room that is needing to come back to you, I pray them back to you, O God. I pray that they'll make a decision today to come to you. If there's anybody that doesn't know you, God, that they would surrender, that they would ask for forgiveness of their sins, repent, and come to you, Jesus, and be transformed, that they will meet the great I Am who transforms lives and makes things new. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you're at work. Please don't stop. Even in the midst of pandemics, you are at work doing what God only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. In your awesome and mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd like to invite you to join us on our YouTube channel Friday mornings at 10 a.m. for The Truthcast, a weekly podcast from Pastor Jason. We'd also like to invite you to download the brand new New Hope 365 app where you can access media, give, and keep up with everything happening here at New Hope 365.